It was that month after she, she had passed away, and on that day I, I drew a line in the sand. It was a moment of truth, you know, and I said, I'm going to figure out how, how to enjoy the ride no matter what from, mm -hmm. from you know, going forward. And, and that's what led to the book, ultimately. It, it was like hitting the bottom and then the story of getting better and then connecting dots backwards. Welcome to Seriously Catherine, a podcast about taking your business seriously, but not yourself. I have a hot take on Bradley Cooper. Now, I feel like I've been a Bradley Cooper fan for a very long time, but what really did me in was the movie A Star is Born with Lady Gaga. And I was like, Silver Linings Playbook is one of my favorite movies too. But anyway, I definitely fell in love with him and his acting and his directing in A Star is Born with Lady Gaga. And I definitely, definitely think that Lady Gaga, whether she knows it or not, ruined Bradley Cooper's marriage. Did they? I don't even know if they were ever married. Irina? I need a fact checker for that. But anyway, he shares a daughter with Irina. His daughter's name is Leah, and she is beautiful. He brought her as his date to the red carpet for his maestro movie premiere, and she is adorable. Y'all have to go look at this little girl. She's so cute. Anyway, there is a photo of Lady Gaga there. Like, she went and to support Bradley, which is awesome. I guess they're still friends. But there is a photo of like Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga and the little girl, and they're both looking at Lady Gaga. And Bradley looks like he's in love. I'm <laughs> just like convinced that I think that Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga have to have to get, end up together. I just think that they shared so many special moments on A Star is Born and making that movie. It was like such a deep movie and hard, I'm sure, to like let that role go. I don't know. I'm a fan. I think that Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga should get married and have babies. Bradley, Lady Gaga, if y'all are listening, please invite me to the wedding because I would love to go and support your marriage. <laughs> Okay, so if you know me, you know that I love what I do, and I'm a workaholic, so if I ever have a chance to get away, I can't go too far away without my kids and without being so far away from work. The Adelphi is my go-to. What's really great about the Adelphi is that it has everything you need. It's right there on Broadway. It has a restaurant, it's got the breakfast joint, it's got it all. And the room service is amazing. So last Christmas, we did Christmas Day night at the Adelphi. We booked the Polaris Suite, which is really special because it has a hot tub on the balcony. And the kids loved it. It was so much fun. We ordered room service and it was just like the most special thing. And again, it's got a jacuzzi. I mean, who doesn't want to use a jacuzzi at the Adelphi. If you don't have the opportunity to stay at the Adelphi, you can still go and hang out in their, in their lobby or eat at their restaurants. The best sushi in town, by far, I believe is at the Adelphi. You should get the rainbow roll. You can thank me later. It's delicious. It's absolutely the bomb. If you are local and you need a night off or a night away, don't go too far. Go right there to the Adelphi. Book yourself a room, have dinner there, have breakfast in the morning, and you'll feel like a totally different person when you wake up. All right, everyone, I have a special guest for you. Abby from Saratoga Living is here with us to give us a little scoop on the winter issue of Saratoga Living. 
That's right. Winter 2024. Can you believe it? I can't believe it. So winter is always about weddings. It is. It's our I do issue. So there are mostly locals in town, and so we love to show off other locals. The best thing I think about the the weddings issue is that we get to show off our entire region. So this is the time we can go from fancy Adelphi weddings to showing off the Adirondacks and really hit home how much we have to offer here in our area. How do you choose like the person, the bride that's going to be on the cover? And then how does that work? You pull from pictures from last winter because you can't, you know, like how quickly can you pull off a It's got to be somebody from last year that got married last winter. So that is exactly correct. That's a great question to ask how we choose the photos. We make every single weddings issue completely different with a completely different theme. And so this year, we actually, our big feature is by season. So we do have a winter wedding, and that one is actually on the cover. And then we have an amazing fall wedding. We have someone who did a crazy, crazy summer wedding at the track. So do you want to hear where I would get married? Yes. I'm going to get married again. So you know I love the Adelphi. Yes. So we would have to encapsulate that at some component, right? So the Adelphi does weddings so beautifully, and that actually is the cover wedding. It's so beautiful, though. It is. The fall uh, wedding was at Inn at Earl West, and it just so happened that the venue they were looking at was available on Friday the 13th, so they did a Halloween wedding. It's Wait, amazing. where was this? At the Inn at Earl West. It's a big wedding venue. When can we get our hands on this, this magazine? The second week of January it comes out. There's also a food and drink portion of this magazine. In every single issue, we have a food and drink section. Mm-hmm. This one will focus on the culinary arts at SPAC. <gasps> The mushroom event? Did you the go to mushroom the mushroom event? The mushroom event sold out in minutes. I was not surprised, but at SPAC, they were a little bit surprised. So we talk about all their you know, fantastic events. Yeah. And then we also cover Kindred's New Brunch, the new wine bar on Henry Street. I, I take it you've been. I went yesterday for the first time. And brunch. so did I. I went yesterday for the first time. It was so good. I got the fried chicken, Benedict. The fried chicken, yep. Yeah, the fried the chicken, fried Benny. Chicken. Yes, that's Benedict. Ryan's favorite, apparently, the owner, Ryan McFadden. Yeah, it was so good. And I'm going to go back this Sunday. Okay, sounds like we hit the good food and drink story. And they have an espresso martini that was really good. Like that we've recently dubbed the um, night was it the nightcap of Saratoga, and you had yeah. it for noon. Why not? Yeah. Also, I wanted to, to add that we have one new section for 2024, and that is spa and beauty. We've, we've never had a place to put in all of the great new, the, you know, the complexions of the world, the great new spas that are coming in, all the med spas, the new technology, everything. So we're really excited about this new section. And our first profile is on the ADK Foot Sanctuary on Phyla Street. Another way that people describe Saratoga is as the spa city. So it makes sense that there's a section in Saratoga Living that just revolves around all the spas. I mean, there's a lot of them to choose from. Absolutely. Now we have a place for them. Yes. Everybody needs some self-care. So get your hands on a copy of this issue the second week in January. Where might one find the issue? Is it at grocery stores? So you can actually get it mailed to your home. We do sell subscriptions. But yes, we're in Hannaford, Price Chopper, Market 32. Okay. Thanks for being with us, Abby. Thank you, Catherine. On this week's episode of Seriously, Catherine, we are joined by Dr. Manuel Astruc. He is a board-certified psychiatrist with over 20 years of experience and 50,000 
hours serving clients face-to-face. He works in his private practice here in Saratoga and in the addictions field as the medical director of Saratoga County Alcohol and Substance Abuse Services. His own story of burnout inspired a better conversation about how to avoid or overcome the damaging effects of burnout, which I have experienced myself. He's also an author, which we will talk a lot about in this episode. Dr. Astrak has taken the wisdom he's learned and brings it to business owners through his coaching practice, which he specializes in entrepreneurs who are experiencing burnout. And I am so excited to get into this conversation. And I remember you said this, like the reaction that you're having right now is completely normal. It feels weird because it's suffering and helplessness and powerlessness, but it's actually a normal response to what you just went through. Right. And we want to escape that. Right. So we, I was we, like, We can... want to get that over with as quickly as we can, and, and sometimes we can. And, yeah, you said, well, it's only been a week, and you need a whole nother week for your body to— re- And the blood loss, that's that's the main thing, too, you told me. It's like the blood loss piece of it and your postpartum. So you're like completely—you are unwell, but that's normal. <laughs> and you wouldn't take me to four winds. <laughs> no four winds, no medications. You just have to— get through a a really rough part of your life. And a lot of times we will do anything to avoid feeling terrible. And you're not used to to feeling terrible. You're used to hitting the gas when something's not right and solving problems and and just facing things head on and wrestling with them and wrestling them to the ground and like just fixing stuff, right? Get done. And this was not one where you could get done. This was where you had to just stop and honor and respect that your body needed time to come back. So what is it in me that I didn't, like, try drugs at that point? Do you know, do you know what I mean? I, I think that is the moment in, in life when people, like, turn to drugs or alcohol or whatever it is. So maybe this is, like, a deeper conversation, but, like, are those vices genetic? Is there something, like, a genetic makeup in me that— I was able to pick up the phone and call someone for help or ask advice to somebody that was going to be able to walk me through it? Or, like, what is that? Uh, I think that at that point in your life, if you're not someone who's already had alcohol or drugs as a coping mechanism, as a way of dealing with escaping from how we're feeling, if you haven't already done that, then it's unlikely that you're suddenly going to pick that up right there in that moment. So I'm addicted to asking for help, basically. <laughs> That's not a bad addiction, actually, but but <laughs> do you think you have that addiction that you're addicted to asking for help? I love asking people what they think and having them share, you know, a story or an experience with me that's going to help me get to the next thing, right? Like connect the dots. So that that is a thing that I, I am known for. Like I tell everybody everything just to get a sense of what they would do in a situation or, you know, how to navigate. Asking for help is a higher ordered coping skill. Oh, okay, cool. That's good. So like I'm doing the right thing. So You're we all need great. to ask for more help. Yeah. Um, I had a friend who was raising kids and she said the two things she wanted to teach her kids was use your words and ask for help. Yeah, I I definitely tell my kids to use your words. So you are a psychiatrist. Tell us why you would choose that profession, because it seems like really stressful to me. I went into medicine on autopilot. It was not 
a intentional choice. When when I was young, I was good at math and science. I got good grades. I liked biology. Someone said you should become a doctor, and it checked the box for my future. So I went pre-med, and it wasn't very intentional at all. When I got into med school and we started to make decisions for what we're going to specialize in, I liked all parts of medicine, and I was thinking family practice or internal medicine where you can do a lot of different things. And that's the direction I was going in, and I was procrastinating filling out my applications for residencies. And I I asked myself, I stopped and had a, a moment of introspection, like, why am I not doing this? And it turns out that what I had really enjoyed was psychiatry. It was getting to know people, and it's really what I loved. And in family practice, when I was rotating through family practice, uh, I remember it was like the winter. Everybody would come in and say, my head hurts, my sinuses are filled up, and I'm all stressed out. Mm-hmm. And everybody would leave with a prescription for antibiotics and Prozac. And I said, these people are just not getting enough time to talk about their stress. They're just getting the prescription. So I, I decided to go for what I loved, which was you know connecting with people on a deeper level and, and helping them with their emotional angst and went into psychiatry. And then you sort of like went further in. Like how many years have you had your own practice? Has it been decades? Yeah, it's been decades. <laughs> you don't look old enough to have decades of a business. Well, that's the nicest thing someone said to me all day. Thank you. <laughs> it's the cold showers, right? Yeah, the cold showers must be it. When I finished my residency in psychiatry, I wanted to be a really good psychiatrist. And what I decided to do, my, my plan was first to work on inpatient psychiatric units where you get the most difficult, acute challenges with, with what people are going through. And I would get good at that. And then I would start a private practice, and I would get good at that. And then I would do something else, whatever that something else was. Then I started my private practice. At the same time, I was also and continued to be the medical director for Saratoga County Alcohol Services. And you're still doing that, right? Yeah. So how many years have you been doing that? Gosh, close to 30. My gosh. So like the stuff that you've seen in day in, day out, it's like you got to write a book, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Which, Which you did. Right. So that was my outpatient and then do something else. And that this is my entrepreneurial part of my journey. I wrote a book, Happiness Rules, and you wrote one of the best reviews for that. And I'm so thankful for oh, that. Well, reviews are huge. Yeah. They're they're very valuable. Yeah. And the book was really amazing. When did it come out? I read it right when it came out. It was October 2022. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I cracked it as soon as I was able to get my hands on it. And you've been working on it for a while. So, like, get this book out already. I mean, it's so, it was all about burnout. It was all about how to find happiness, which is, you know, what we are all striving for, especially entrepreneurs. I think especially parents, you know, we're trying to do the best we can. How do we make sure we can, like, fulfill our goal of being an awesome mom or parent and still have fun. And so the whole book was just so good and so spot on. I mean, how did you, how did you do that? How did you like speak to me? <laughs> it was, uh, in many respects, it was the, the story of my own burnout. So going back to 2008, I had become incredibly burnt out. I was very busy. I had a successful private practice. Uh, but every day looked like the next day. It was a, a treadmill of just work, work, work. And there was nothing down the road that looked like it would be lifting that. And it mm-hmm. just gets exhausting. Long days. 
And you're hearing people at their worst. Like they yeah. don't come, like people don't go to their therapist or their psychiatrist because everything's great. You know, they're coming to you because they need help, right? So yeah. you're hearing a lot of just down, down, down. Yeah. I cannot imagine doing that day in, day out. So my um, twin sister, Magdalena, she she passed away in August 2008 from, from brain cancer. And she'd had um, the diagnosis and it's fought that for about three years. And the, the next month, I remember sitting in a dark room, just like totally burnt out. And I was looking at a picture of her, and the picture was taken while she was going through chemo, and she's just glowing. She's smiling. You can't tell, but she's wearing a wig because she'd lost all her hair. And it was just so striking that with her diagnosis, she had maintained the smile and this grace. And when I talked to her and said, like, you know, this has got to be so hard, she goes, it's not that bad. You know what? Um, I'm here at home with my kids, which I always wanted to do. My friends visit me all the time. My family's here around me all the time. You know, it could be a lot worse for me. So she was facing, you know, her death. And I had a, my house. I had a private practice that was thriving, and I was so miserable. And it was that month after she, she had passed away, and on that day I, I drew a line in the sand. There was a moment of truth, you know, and I said I'm going to figure out how, how to enjoy the ride no matter what from, mm -hmm. from you know, going forward. And, and that's what led to the book ultimately. It, it was like hitting the bottom and then the story of getting better and then connecting dots backwards. What mm -hmm. are the things that helped? And coming out with some simple rules for what makes things better. And as I, I wrote the book, I started to look at some of the positive psychology movement that's come out recently. And it was so very aligned with what the research was saying that, you know, just kind of confirmed for me that, that this was important to put out into the world. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's so spot on. And I think a lot of times, I mean, even like right now, I've just I was just traveling for 10 days to get back into the rhythm of life. It's just like overwhelming. You're behind on emails. The kids are out of their routine. And I'm just like, oh, it's like a slog. And I think to myself, well, I haven't done yoga. I haven't, you know, like there, there are just like a long list of things that I have not been keeping up with. And no wonder I feel like shit, you know? So it's like so frustrating that you stop doing those things when you're feeling good. And eventually it will, it will, it will catch back up with you. That's right. And the higher the highs, the lower the lows. I mean, do you, do you agree with that? There's like, there's no, there's no way to keep getting happier without still feeling the sadness over time, right? Like there's, there's not this, and I was just listening to Oprah because that's one of the things that Marcella actually, I texted her and I was like, I am so feeling like not wanting to come back home, you know, because I'm, I do have a lot of homesickness when I'm here and my family is 1500 miles away, you know, so she's like on the way home from New York City to Saratoga, just listen to Oprah Super Soul, just listen to it and it'll, it'll help you. Oprah says something like, you just, you you just don't get happier without the challenge. Like you can't just, we can't just all be happier or happy. It just doesn't, that's not, that's not life. That's not human or, right? What do you think? No, completely true. So, you know, ancient wisdom, the Buddha said life is suffering. So, so there's no way of avoiding suffering. When you were recovering from almost dying, you know, that was suffering. We can't avoid that. 
So even while we're striving towards happiness and more fulfillment, there are going to be moments of uncertainty. There's going to be moments of suffering. There's going to be moments of, of frustration that's built into the fabric of the world. The definition of suffering that I use comes from Sean Aker, who uh, is a positive psychology researcher. And he uses a definition that he says comes from the ancient Greeks. It's the feeling of joy that you get as you strive to fulfill your potential. Wait, what is that the definition of? Happiness. Happiness is the joy you get. The feeling of joy. The feeling of joy. That you get as you strive to fulfill your potential. Okay, so you got to be doing something, taking action. You got to be growing. You got to be growing. You got to be growing. You got to be <laughs> I said going. going. You said growing. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that that's, yeah. that was part of why I was feeling so <laughs> There's like a couple of different pieces. First, my hormones were out of control. I lost a lot of blood. So if you don't have blood, you don't have oxygen. Like that's the thing, right? So I'm tired. But the other part of it was deeper in the sense that like, I felt like everyone stepped up when I was in the hospital and all the stress that I was feeling up until that point, right? The bills you got to pay, the people, meetings you have, what, whatever it is, it all just subsided and everyone understood and everyone just sort of fell into place. And like, I, I actually didn't have a purpose other than resting, but I felt this sense of like, I think maybe this is it. Like, maybe I should have just died. You know, like, I should have just, like, call, like called it a day. And everyone would have been fine. And so there was, like, this sense of, like, peace almost. But also, like, now what do I do? Right. So that purpose is really important. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess I guess you're right. I mean, I just, it was a weird, like, I don't, I don't, it's hard to even express the experience because it wasn't like I was depressed. It wasn't. It wasn't depression. It was just like, I don't, I don't know what just happened. It's almost like existential angst. Existential angst. Yeah, that's. I guess that's that's what it was. It took two weeks, literally two took weeks, because I spoke to you on a Wednesday, and you were like, if you are still feeling this way in a week, we will have another conversation, and we will, you know, do do whatever we need to do. But I am certain you won't feel this way in a week. And it was crazy. It, I mean, it's not it's not crazy. It's science. But it was just so wild how it felt like a wave or like a veil lifted. And I felt okay again. Yeah. It's just chemicals in your in your head, in your brain, your body. Just have to like get back stabilized. Give yourself time to heal. Yeah. So tell us more about how you incorporate the positive psychology, I mean, it's always been there, and you think now it's just trendier or people are just more aware of it. Like, you must be seeing more people coming to therapy, talking about mental health and wellness, and, like, what's your take on this? Are you sort of like, well, yeah, I've been doing this for decades. Like, welcome to the party. You're a little late. No, no. I, I think that we've been late to to, to the party of what makes people thrive. The science of flourishing is something that we've not done a good job at looking at in psychiatry. So psychiatry has historically dealt with, you know, severe and persistent mental illness, you know, people who are unable to function well because of schizophrenia or bipolar or depression or, you know, severe panic and anxiety, PTSD. So it's dealt with the illness side of the human psyche. And whether it's medications or therapy, that's what we've 
focused on. The science of flourishing, like what makes people excel, what makes people happy, we did not do a good job of, of looking at that. And it's only in the recent years that the research on that came out, started to come out. Um, and it's just been really interesting to, to see us pick that up. And the folks who are into that just get better and better at, at defining things and simplifying things and incorporate that into treatments and, and ways of living. Yeah. And this is why you really like to work with entrepreneurs, right? Because they are already working on themselves or working on something and they're, they need help with the burnout side of it because they, they don't know how to stop working or they don't know how to stop trying to fulfill this, this goal or um, find that happiness, wouldn't you say? No, absolutely. So entrepreneurs, number one, they get things done. So they don't sit around and, and they're not going to spend a year in therapy not doing anything different, mm -hmm. just talking about the same thing, right? So they get things done. They're very driven individuals and, you know, finding balance and flourishing is something that, you know, a little bit of that goes a long way and can be incredibly helpful pretty quickly at helping people to feel better. And the last part of it is that the, the idea of helping more people to help more people. Right? You know, so, I use that all the time now. I, I stole it from you. I stole it for someone else. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I give you credit when, like, as as whenever I can. But I, it definitely came from you. So leadership is, you know, helping more people to help more people. If you help two people, and they help two people, and they help two people, it's exponential. The the way that the world can change yeah. by putting ideas out into the world. And with entrepreneurs, I, I think that's something that happens very organically. So whether it's something that I talk about or a little pearl of wisdom that I'm able to, to give to someone that they can then give to someone on their team, someone, you know, in their vendor network yeah. or a customer, right? These little nuggets, these little ideas, helping more people to help more people is how we're going to change the world. Yeah. Oh, it's so much fun, too. That's right. So the definition of happiness, the feeling of joy as you strive to fulfill your potential, incorporates a couple of ideas. It incorporates the idea of you've got to embrace the suck, right? So there are going to be times as you're striving to fulfill your potential. So whether it's during a hard workout or a hard season of your life, that you've got to embrace the suck. Okay, then what do you say after that? <laughs> that's true. <laughs> oh, that's that awesome. Suck. You don't have to change anything. Yeah. Sometimes it just sucks. Yeah. So can you think of a time when it, you felt like, oh, my God, I'm not going to get through this. You know, this is just the worst experience. And just, like, speak to the point that, like, it's universal. The things that one does to get through it, we all need to do to get through it. I think we pick up wisdom the, the more we go through things and that, you know, I can't get through this. Is, it's a little less likely to occur when we've gotten through a bunch of stuff. As a psychiatrist, I'm supposed to have all the answers, but, but there's many times that I have not had answers in my life. So I can think back. Um, I've shared that, you know, I had problems with alcohol and, and there were periods in my life, you know, before I hit a bottom with alcohol. And, and had a lot of stuff going on around that, that this sucks. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I don't know if I can get through this. So those were very challenging times. So do you, like, openly talk about, about that? I don't disclose it candidly very much in my private practice. That That's not relevant to, to most of the work that I do. Well, because you can't talk about you. 
Right. So in, in the, the practice of psychiatry, self-disclosure is a no-no. We talked about the framework of boundaries within the psychiatric practice. That, that's a boundary. We don't self-disclose. The client is there for their stuff, not for them to listen to my stuff. Yeah, yeah. In my entrepreneurial work, when I'm coaching, when I'm talking about happiness rules, when I'm giving talks, as an entrepreneur, I think that, you know, being open and candid about past experiences helps me to connect with an audience and helps them to take what I'm saying more seriously. I'm yeah. not on a mountaintop. I'm just like them. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the, on a podcast. Yeah. You know, these are places where I think it's very reasonable and, and important to say um, I'm not different than other people. When you were going through that and you decided, okay, I'm not going to drink anymore, you know, did you go through the AA program or like how did you how did you get through that and incorporate that into your life? It didn't cause problems in my professional life. It was definitely making a mess of my personal life mm-hmm. with with my family and my, with my wife at the time. And I did what most people do when they say that you know I've got a problem and I can't fix it, so I need to go get some help. And the help that I got, I, I went to AA. I got into individual therapy. I got into group therapy. I was, you know, committing to that on a weekly basis. After a couple of months of driving back and forth to Albany and, and kind of getting sick and tired, I talked about my fears about going to AA here locally. And I was talking about it in group therapy. One of my friends there said, you know, I, I think you've got to put all your chips into the middle of the table. Yeah. This is a problem for you that you need help with. You you can't be putting the barrier of, of going right. to Albany because you're afraid. You know, you, you've got to trust the process is what he said. Trust yeah. the process and do what you have to do to take care of yourself. That's your number one priority. Yeah. And it's like, it's all going to be okay. And it was. Yeah. That's so awesome. Yeah. Oh, right. Tell us all about TMS. You did it to me. We did this a, is this a year ago, maybe. You put the cap on me and you zapped yeah. my brain. Yeah, so you didn't have the full course of TMS. I need more of it. <laughs> so TMS is transcranial magnetic stimulation. It's a, a treatment for depression that has failed to respond to antidepressants. About 33, 36% of people who get put on antidepressants do not respond well to them. They continue to have depression in spite of the best treatments that they're having. And this magnetic therapy involves putting a magnet very close to your head. You turn the magnet on and off, and that creates an electrical current that goes through the skull to the very surface of of the brain. And that stimulation over time helps to treat depression where other things have not. So... This population of folks, so 36% who have not responded to antidepressants, the chances they're going to respond to the next medication you give them is 5% or less. TMS in this population works 50 to 70% of the time. Wow. And uh, it's becoming more and more accepted. It's been FDA approved for well over 10 years now. It has very few side effects. And, and for people who don't want to be taking medications, it's a great uh, modality. I can give you a, a quick patient story. So I have a patient who I treated for years. She's very stoic, hardworking, professional, taking care of a family you know, uh, at home, but remained pretty depressed. And the way that we'll measure depression is with a, a, an instrument called a PHQ-9. It's nine questions 
that talk about symptoms of depression and you rate how severely they're having these scores of, you know, 15 and above are pretty depressed. She was in the 20s. Okay. Um, and this is on a scale from like 1 to? 27, I think is the highest. Okay. Okay. So it's like nine questions. And if you rank them close to 20, you're in trouble. Yeah. So she was very depressed yeah. in spite of, you couldn't tell by interacting with her. Mm-hmm. Um, she was just carrying a, this silent depression. And I've been treating her for 10 years, so she got good treatment, lots of trials of lots of medications and combinations. She went through a course of TMS, and her PHQ-9 dropped from 20 to zero. Like, no symptoms of depression. That's crazy town. Yeah, unbelievable. That is unbelievable. Now, not everybody gets that level of remission. And not that many people make it to to want to try that next yeah. thing, right? Like if you're failing medication after medication and you've been yeah. doing it for 10 years, like she's got to be a badass to be like, yep, sign me up for this, you know? And yeah. so I just, I get frustrated with the system that's at play, right? Like why can't we just start with TMS? Well, we we literally can. So, so at this point in time with insurances, the field's come a long way when I, and it hasn't been that long I've been doing TMS in the office. So it's uh, about two years when I started, in order to get approval from your insurance company, you needed to have failed four or more uh, antidepressants and two courses of psychotherapy. So we have to document. And and psychotherapy is talk therapy or yeah. is it different types of? Exactly, talk okay. therapy. Okay. In the last year, those criteria have dropped to two medications that you failed and the course of psychotherapy. And the, the psychotherapy component, many insurance companies are currently dropping. Now, the, the biggest barrier to entry is no longer not having availability. It's no longer, you know, the insurance company is not approving it. It's really people don't know about it. People don't know about yeah. it. Yeah. Well, now they're going to know. But, I I mean, we've talked about this so many times. I remember I was so excited when you got the TMS machine. And I was like, you got to you gotta zap my head. I was just so excited to try it out. And, I mean, what a what a cool I – mean, I mean, it was like a tap. It yeah. felt like a tap on your yeah. head and a multiple taps on your head. And you got to go every day. And it's for six weeks? Right. So that's that's the part that's a little bit of a pain. It's, it's every day for six to eight weeks. And it's about 30 minutes in and out, um, you know, coming to the office, leaving the office. You can drive yourself there. You can get back into your life, go back to work, do whatever you need to do after, after you finish. There's, there's no period that, that you're kind of uh, incapacitated from it. Yeah. And, and you and I both know a, a, a friend who has not had depression, but he's used TMS as an entrepreneur to help him with clarity of thought and has found it incredibly helpful. I think the biggest barrier for me is the time commitment, like getting there every day for six weeks. We can all improve. We can all improve. So whether it's with positive psychology or coaching or therapy, right? Big right. believer in therapy. I love therapy, but it's a it's a rough it's rough. I mean, I can talk to a brick wall. I've, we've talked about this before. It's like I can talk to anybody, right? I sit down in the chair and I like bleh, everywhere, right? So at least in therapy, it's like this is 
the appropriate place to talk about these things. So I love it. And I, I love my therapist. She's amazing. And I never really had the experience. I've heard people talk about how, you know, I just I just can't find the right therapist. I can't find the right one that's going to, you know, and I think it's also, it can be stressful to have to like go in and say, okay, let me bring up the speed because my life is in total chaos right now. So once you get a good person, you got to stick with them. Let's circle back to coaching. Another thing I'm super a big fan of, and you specialize on entrepreneurs. That's right. So with coaching versus therapy, therapy is following the pain backwards, right, that to alleviate pain that someone's having, and following the trail of tears. So right now there's pain and angst in your life now, and, and you're following the trail of tears to try to relieve that. Okay. And coaching, I would say, is more kind of following the, the, the trail of dreams, where you want to be, how you want to be doing, and it's really building out this this life in which you're flourishing, and that's what I bring to the table for entrepreneurs who, when they're facing outward, you know, they've got it all together, right? But anybody who's got it all together who's, like, putting it all in, you know, there's a dark side, there's mm -hmm. a back side that we don't talk about. Yeah. And one of the people that comes to mind is Michael Phelps, a swimmer. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he won gold medal after gold medal, you know, for years and years. But he had terrible problems with, with depression and, and, and stuff. So yeah. we've got the outward-facing part of us. And then for the entrepreneurs, having the place where they can talk with someone who's knowledgeable, not just about, you know, the the – dreams flourishing, but but how to help them with, with some of the, the troubles that they're having. Yeah, I mean, I just think it's, it's if anything, we need both sides of it. Well, we can, we got to come back because I think it's been like four years since we did an interview like this, and it's not fair to the world. We have to, we have to have these conversations more often. Reach out, I'll be here. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being here. Where do you buy the book? So anywhere books are sold, so Amazon, it's Happiness Rules beat burnout, embrace happiness, become a better entrepreneur. Yes, and it's amazing. I love this book. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Catherine. My pleasure, and I'd uh, love to be back anytime as you want. Awesome. This week's Facepalm Mom is all about a couple weeks ago when I, you know those days when you just wake up and you're like, I'm going to kill this day. I'm going to get all the things done that I need to get done, and I'm going to be able to rest my awesome head on the pillow at night feeling just like so successful that I got it all done, I did the best I could, and you know, well, that did not happen on this day. I woke up thinking that, got everyone out of the house in a timely order. So like they had runny noses and, you know, the coughs, but no fever. I mean, that's the thing. If you don't have a fever, you send your kids to school. So that is what I did. And literally 20 minutes after I got back to Palette, coffee in hand, about to do a podcast interview, the pre-K calls and says that, Zia puked, so I had to come pick her up. And so I pick her up, and we put a ma we put a mask on her, and we brought her to Palette. I mean, I made sure everyone here was like cool with me bringing a kid with a alleged stomach stomach bug. Like I didn't see her puke, but I do believe she did. So that happened, and then don't you know? As soon as the interview, we were done with the interview, I had a missed call from Ruby's school nurse saying that she had a runny nose, and I'm like, wait a minute, a runny nose is not a reason to send my kid home today of all days. 
days when I was going to kill it today. So she just said like she couldn't breathe through her nose and I had to, and it would be best to come pick her up. Like she doesn't have a fever, but she's very lethargic and tired and not herself. So I was like, okay, fine. I go and pick her up. Go straight to Walgreens because, of course, I'm not going back home to get meds and I don't carry them on me. And don't you know this child is skipping up and down the aisles like she is not lethargic. She is just herself, her ruby self. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to roll with it. We had a we had a lunch date to support a local nonprofit that I love so much. It's Jake's Help from Heaven. So I was like, screw it. I'm going to call the restaurant, add two more to that reservation, and we are going to show up at the restaurant. And we did. So we had so much fun raising money for Jake's up from heaven. And I did actually go to bed that night feeling quite successful. So there you have it. I mean, sometimes you just got to bring the kids along, sickness and all, <laughs> through sickness and health. Thank you for listening to this podcast. And if you want to connect with me, slide into my DMs on Instagram. My handle is Katherine Hover.